The views expressed in our episode are ours alone and do not represent any other organizations. Our episodes discuss internet crimes against children and cases that involve the exploitation of children and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Yeah, we don't want to do anything to scare your children. That's the last thing we want to do. We don't want to scare anybody. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Catfish Cops. We are in day four, three and a half of uh, Who Crimes Conference. We are, if you can't tell, there's not as much um, ancillary noise because we moved from where we were into a more private setting, which is great. And so... That would be ambient noise. Ambient. Thank you for that. I'm not the word police. Word, like Words are my job. Uh, well, that... I, <laughs> then you and Brandon are going to do very well during this podcast, and I am going to get bitch slapped pretty quickly. Proceed, Brandon. Oh, hi, Tony. This is what he does. He gets butt hurt because I mentioned something, and now he's going to act like a prima donna, but fear not. His true colors will come out. Welcome, everyone. Thank you. <laughs> you're, you're listening to mom and dad have a little fight, but we'll be about we'll nah, That's all right. We get past it. Uh, who are we talking to today? I want to introduce you to, oh, I'm just kidding. I'm going to let Tony introduce you to our special guest. I'm really excited. This one's going to, this one, I've looked forward to this one. Well, I guess let's back up a couple steps because what you went to some training that he did. I did. And then I've been through his well, class yeah, I, a few times. Yeah, I have too, but like you went kind of more recent than I did. I wasn't able to go to the last one and I guess maybe he pitched you at that point or something and did. And then we had some email exchange about uh, cases. Know, hey, and yeah, different things. And then we're like, hey, uh, you're going to be at the conference. How would you like to sit down? And Larry Bronstein. Did Bronstein. I, Bronstein. Bronstein. I apologize. That's okay. Larry Bronstein. Bronstein. And this is, so you listening are like, he's a cop, a child protection expert. Well, he is a child protection expert. But like, why is an attorney... Mm. on your podcast well that's a great question because larry is a, a cool attorney who's done a whole bunch of stuff in child abuse cases um and we're going to get to that and talk about that but tell us a, a little bit about you sure. what you're doing what's your background what what brings you to the child conference so i started my career as a prosecutor in bronx county new york and did that for a couple of years did child protective cases um criminal prosecutions and then knew at some point in time I wanted to go into practice on my own um, so I left started my own practice and became a defense attorney just went to the dark side people <laughs> will think that's commonly the term that gets I, used I do believe that's true um, and then started doing basically everything we I went into practice with my wife and we called the door law if it walked through the door we did it <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, a little bit of criminal defense, family law, personal injury. Um, and then I was retained by a client to represent him. His wife had accused him of sexually abusing their child. And um, I needed to learn some of the medicine. So I went to a conference in San Diego. There's a child maltreatment conference, medically and, and 
uh, mental health based right. as opposed to this conference, which is uh, primarily law enforcement based. And uh, during the conference, during one of the breaks, I spoke to one of the uh, program organizers of the conference and I said, this is a great conference. How many other defense attorneys are here? And she said, you're the only one. You're it. You're it. <laughs> okay. Um, and I said, well, here's the other thing. All these people are really, really smart. But when they get into a courtroom, they're not prepared. Yeah. Right. And she said, gee, that sounds like a program proposal. Why don't you send me something? <laughs> so that like was workshop. late 1980s. Um, sent something in. And that's how I started doing the lecturing. Really? And it's just child child abuse, child neglect, um, the medical issues. It's a, It's besides, you know, the horrific nature of it, it's just intellectually really interesting. Yeah. Right. So many areas of law, so many areas of, of medicine, um, forensic interviewing, understanding police procedure. Um, and at that point I said, you know what, if I'm going to spend my time learning it, I need to use it for good. Yeah. Um, right. So I very much vet who I represent. If I think you did it and you're not going to do it my way, which is we'll figure out a plea. Um, you'll make it right with the, the victims. Right. Um, then I'm not your guy. Well, and, good for and you. Somebody else. That was one of my, my initial questions was like, how is that? I understand the transition when you're in, in a prosecutor's office because it's not the, uh, the most uh, high paying job right. on the planet, right. regardless of what everybody else thinks uh, a low, whole lot of work for not a lot of money. Um, and so in that natural transition, I mean, I, I understand maybe it's not so difficult for family stuff or low end kind of stuff, but if you were prosecuting, uh, child abuse cases and then jumping into a child abuse case on the defense. Was there any, well, I guess you just kind of explained it, but that whole dynamic of, you know, yeah, you're, you're going from, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm out to punish people that did bad things to kids to, yeah. um, defending people, to <laughs> somebody else, save someone. Punish, right. Um, but, it, but you know, it's the skill set, and, you know, I constantly get questions from people, even, I mean, my, now my practice is matrimonial and family law, but I do the subspecialty of, we're not allowed to call it a subspecialty. I focus my practice right. uh, in New York on um, allegations of child abuse, physical abuse, abuse of head trauma, sometimes within the context of a divorce case or a custody case. Mm, yeah. um, sometimes it's an independent criminal case. Yeah. Um, so y you're using your skill set and... You know, one one day I could be representing the the husband, one day the wife, um, or the wife and the wife and the husband and the husband, whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever it is. That is. Um, and then the next day you're the the plaintiff in the case or the defendant in the case. So so you're constantly seeing every direction. And and what I decided to do is use the prosecutorial skills. And when I look at a case, whether I want to take the case, whether it's a defensible case, whether it's a, a false allegation, it's a legitimate allegation. I try to prosecute my client myself. Yeah. Oh. So I'll look at it using all the, the training that I had as a prosecutor to say, if I can prove the case against my client, I'm assuming they can as well. Mm, right. We need to talk. Maybe I'm not getting the right information from my client. And that may set up a strategy case. as well. Uh, I think we tried to do that when we investigate a case too, is like, we need to look at it as though an investigator is looking at this and we're, we're just the jury and see how would we want an investigator to do it? And then how is a defense attorney going to attack what we're doing to make sure we can do it properly yep. and better than we should 
Well, even the, the other aspect of like, uh, we work just as hard to disprove something yeah. yep. that we do yep. to prove something. People yeah. don't understand that. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm constantly saying there's no doubt in my mind that, that law enforcement loses sleep over, did we get the right guy? Right. Yeah. Nobody wants to hang their hat on that. I mean, I, listen, we've been in law enforcement a long time and I don't want to end my career with the thought that I put somebody in a place that does not deserve to be there. I don't want that over my head. In I, fact, we go a little further, right? Like yeah. we go to the point of trying to like, Hey, there is no doubt left in my mind or, right. or anyone mm-hmm. else's mm-hmm. that this happened the way we think it happened. Yeah. I think contrary if to we can. people's belief that, you know, we're, we're out to make the case no matter what. Right. Um, and I'm sure there's got to be instances of that on those are the you ones know, that you see on things, the, the you know, obviously those get highlighted and yeah, what become books we read later and told you can't do this because of that guy. But right. from where we sit in this arena, it's too important. It's too important. And I don't want that over my head. Well, I wondered how you went to like the family law stuff. Cause I thought, well, yeah, there's, I mean, there's not, I was trying to figure out how child abuse and your background in this mm-hmm. specialty translated to that, but that makes sense. Now you're bringing this to that. And although it may not be as direct or as, as a parent, there are a lot of those complexities, right? There are a lot of skill sets that, that are transferable. So in, in matrimonial law, I mean, people are getting divorced. The, the, the tensions are high. The emotions are high. Um, Often there are kids involved. Right. And at the end of the day, I keep reminding myself and, and, and the attorneys that I work with, it's about kids. Yeah. You don't want, the parents don't want to stay married. God bless them. We'll get them divorced. Yeah. Right. But, but not at the expense of their kids. Yeah. Um, yeah and so, the well-being of the children yeah. long-term, right? Yep. And, and I see a lot of matrimonial lawyers that, you know, they want to pour gas on the fire. Yeah. It's motivation yeah. for we're going to make this case go longer, right. which means we're going to make more money. There are attorneys out there that do that. Most sure. good matrimonial lawyers that specialize in the area want to resolve conflict. Mm. In order to do that, you have to learn how to talk to people yeah. and hear what they say and, and be empathic. And those are skills that you guys use yeah. and that forensic interviewers use. So it's it it really is a basic skill set, and uh, you know, are you going to use it for good or are you going to use it for evil? Right. And I was, this is why I was so excited about this because I mean, you can tell Larry is a, a brilliant mind, but he's also just a just a person that is super down to earth and really like. I mean, if you meet him in the, person, the envelope for money is being pushed that's over okay. to you. You can't do that on the radio, Look. but. Well, let me look at it and see how much is in it before I go on. No, the, the, if you can't tell, he is a person who actually like is very caring about, you know, other people and, and gives a lot of himself to that, but more so like, cause look, we've, you're not, we don't have attorneys on here very often. If have we had an attorney on yet? Um, maybe one. Oh, maybe one attorney. One. Yep. One attorney prosecutor, but yes, yes, yes. But I mean, like people are saying, like, why is a defense attorney coming on here? I get that question all the time. I bet. And so Larry teaches some a lot of classes and a lot of of training. But one of the trainings that I first went to, it was it was probably six or seven years ago. Here was your how not to help defense attorneys in child abuse cases. That one. So I'll tell you a funny story. <laughs> tell us that. <laughs> some somebody, I I I 
did a lot of trainees in Oklahoma. I had a contract. Um, and somebody came up to me one day and said, thanks, Larry. I said, okay, there, there's an attitude. What did I do to you? <laughs> and she said, I was being cross-examined and I had your how not to help the defense attorney on my resume. And the defense attorney was grilling me. <laughs> you're, Whoa, you're taking a gun. How not to help defense attorneys? I said, change the fucking title. <laughs> change your, don't blame me. Right? Yeah. You didn't think so. So when I went back the next year to Oklahoma, when they wrote the contract for me, they said, you need to rename that class. <laughs> oh, did your eyes roll back as far as they could? It was, you know, I hate the phrase, but whatever. Yeah. yeah. You want me to do that? I have investing nature and you want to change. The I wouldn't title, have even thought title. of that, but I, I think on the stand, I would be like, no, this is a really good, I want to talk about this training because it helps us understand what are we going to be faced with? And then my investigation is going to be done better. You as a defense may not like that, right. but I'll talk about this training because, so that was the first training. What, what do you, I mean, I don't want you to give away anything because we don't give away techniques on here, investigative, mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. as an overarching, what are you it, it, teaching? It's just, you know, everybody's worried about what's the cross-examination going to be? What are they going to ask? Yeah. And it's just a think through what you need to say. I mean, when, when you're a witness, you're, the prosecution's calling you. So the first thing is you're not the prosecution's witness. They don't own right. you. They don't right. pay you. Yeah. You are a witness being called by the prosecution. If you had things helpful to say, I'd call you, and you'd yeah. be a witness called by the defense. Right. Yeah. Um, and your integrity should mean that you're going to tell the truth regardless. <laughs> answer yeah. the questions the same way, with the same attitude, with the same candor, with the same honesty. Yeah. It's funny you said that because uh, it it flashed in my mind like um, I've been subpoenaed by the defense before. And I remember, um, you know, going into that experience, listen, I don't. I don't care. I can talk the paint off the walls in here. It's not a problem. Um, and I can defend anything that I did and have no problem um, getting grilled. If I made a mistake, I'll, yeah, I'll openly say, yeah, that was my mistake. But I went into that same hearing with, you know, like a patrolman who took the initial report. And he was incensed that you're here for the defense. And I was like, I mean, I was subpoenaed. So, yes, I'm here, you know, like, and he's like, well, kind of giving me shit about, well, why are you on this side? You know, the door mm -hmm. where you have right. the prosecution right. and defense. I'm like, you're <laughs> supposed to be over there. And I'm like, <laughs> we're in the middle. <laughs> I'm like, right. bro, right. calm down. Like, it, relax. It, it's he, about whatever the truth is. Yes. Yeah. And I'm like, he's like, oh, I would be, you know, I wouldn't help him at all. And, and I'm like, I was like, you're not getting it, dude. I was like, yeah. you're not I, getting it. I, I always get that. And so I've been on the NYB, NYPD faculty for the homicide investigators course and the sex crimes investigators course since 1999. Right. And every time I get introduced, there are, you know, 600 detectives and they're all like, what the fuck is he doing? Uh -huh. <laughs> and so, you know, in the first 15 minutes, I, you know, I try to, you know, Hey, here's why I'm here. Just yeah. let's put this thing in context. I'm trying to help you. Yeah. I don't lecture to other defense attorneys. Right. Um, and the reason is, it's taken me a long time to learn what I've learned. Yeah. Um, but, but my knowledge is better used by people that are working to protect children. Yeah. Well, and, and it's awesome. You're not giving away. I mean, obviously you're not giving away strategies or, you know, diff, you know, client privilege stuff. Obviously you are literally talking about things that are any defense is going to come at someone on the stand with and, 
if we're listening the right way, we should be saying, this is really good for me to remember when I do my investigation that I'm covering this, that I'm looking at this, that I'm talking about this. And all that's going to do, it's going to make your case stronger. It's going to bring the truth out. And as Tony said earlier, if someone is not, has not done what they're being accused of, we're going to clear them and it's going to be, I mean, because yeah. we tell people that a lot and we tell people that we're investigating, hey, mm-hmm. I have cleared and marked people off of a list as a as an accusation many times before. Just because you're being accused doesn't mean we're going to say you did. We're going to get to the truth, if you know, and, and hopefully disprove this. We have had false allegations come forward and we're like, yeah, we're going to make sure that that person is is investigated as honestly and with integrity as we would if they had really done it. And and then the flip side is I, I found a, a billboard <laughs> for an attorney, a defense attorney, and it said, just because you did it doesn't mean you're guilty. <laughs> so, so and you it's, said you know, marketing one oh one flip side of that that like what what are you doing to our justice system yeah. when, when they're those games that are being played? And believe me, I'm I'm an attorney. So I am committed to the right of everybody to be represented absolutely, um, and to get a, a, a fair trial. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the things we in the uh, police arena do as a disservice is to new people coming in and work in the street is we don't adequately prepare them for court and a trial yep. and a cross-examination until, and they're, a, until they're on the stand until they're for the there. first time. <laughs> and, and I've seen evidence of it where they've just gotten run over. And then the next thing you know, they say something that gets them in a pickle and then it becomes a permanent pickle that they can't get out of. And now they're on a no testify list of, and and so I I never really is understood. That like a no fly list. I, there, <laughs> like, there, there actually you is get to work in a closet every day because we just don't yeah, want to touch your cases. You're stripped of duties and wow. you're given menial tasks yeah, yeah. because they're not going to take anything from you. I, I, I impeached so bad. The feedback I get is, "Gee, I wish I had this in the academy." Yeah. And my thing is, you carry a firearm. You may never ever use it right. for your whole career, but you have to qualify twice a year. You have to know how to use it if you need it. But nobody says, you may have to come to court to testify at some point in time in your career, but you'll figure it out a couple of days beforehand. As opposed to learn it now, go watch people do it, so that when it happens, you're ready. And I think they think that, well, the prosecutor's going to, you know, prepare me for what I need to know. That's not true. And that's, I mean, nothing to the prosecutor. It's not a slam on them at all. Sometimes... They are thinking, you know this stuff. You've done all of this work. Tell me what I need to know about this case from your angle. That's what they should be doing. Yeah. So what I was talking about yesterday in one of my classes was after they prep you, you prep them. Yeah. Yeah. That's how it should be. The good ones are that way. They they listen and say, what did you do? Tell me about your process. Tell me what you learned. Because they're going to take that and make their stuff with it and then prep you for what they're going to need from you on their side. And it should be a collaboration, right? I think out of fairness of, of how it works, because we know that it is different. um, If you have a state case versus a federal case. And, And we've talked about it here on our podcast before, like in my experience with a state case, when I was just a patrolman coming up and I file the 
possession case or the DWI case or whatever that may be, and I would be going to court for that hearing or scheduled hearing, um, I was often finding, and I didn't understand, it's based on the volume of cases in that court. I just didn't know. And I would be very frustrated because I'd walk in and be a prosecutor who had read the arrest report like that morning. And then, so there's no prep. There was very little, you know, okay, we're going to, this, this, this. And then you kind of go. So you get this sort of like you're kind of alluding to false sense of like, oh yeah, the prosecutor will take care of me while I'm up there. But then. <laughs> well, I, not on these cases. No, no, no. Yeah. And then, and then my experience on the fed side, when I first got ready for a fed trial, my gosh, it was like a thousand times like different. four months before or six and months before. scheduling interviews with you, every witness. You and, talk to any lawyer who's ever practiced in federal court and it, it and it's usually, this is no shit. This, yeah. You gotta go in. I had a case and a federal case and I got the notice to appear from the court at two forty three. Wow. And I said, Oh, heads are gonna roll like a typo <laughs> this judge is gonna be pissed at their clerk. I got there early. At two forty three on the nose. Really? My case was called and that was the wow. message. Well we is do this, have to mention okay you you th- glossed over quickly. Bronx, New York prosecutor, right? Yes. And so, well, I didn't gloss over. <laughs> well, I mean, but that's he said so it, and then we didn't I, talk about I, it. I got out of law school, and I said I want to be a trial lawyer. And the best, I'll I'll tell you the story about my first trial. The best way to do it is to be a prosecutor. Yeah, yeah. So, I I graduate law school. I take the bar exam. Take a couple of weeks off. I show up at the courthouse at about six in the morning. Everything's locked. Yeah. I didn't want to be late. Nobody's there. I'm looking for coffee, and all I can find is things called bodegas. <laughs> and it's like, well, where the fuck is the coffee? Because I don't know how, what a bodega is. I grew up on Long Island. Um, and, and ultimately, of course, that's where you get the coffee. That's where right. the coffee um, So I go to the front of, of the courthouse, and there are burnt chicken bones and candles. And I'm thinking... Santa Maria, what? what the, it's like somebody had voodoo on their ass, what? but not me because I didn't work there until <laughs> this morning, so I'm cool. So they finally, the court officer unlocks the door and he's like, how long have you been here? I'm like, I don't know, about two hours. I just don't want to be late. It's my first day of work. He's like, good luck on that. So I go upstairs, I meet my supervisor and she said, all right, so this is good. You found the floor. Let me tell you a couple of important things. Lunch is from one to two. That was that was the that first was priority it. one. Lunches from one to As two. As you can tell, we appreciate that priority. <laughs> um, you got an office mate. His name is Michael. That's his desk. He usually rolls in here about eleven thirty, and he's gone by three. It's like okay. Then <laughs> the supervisor is telling me this. That's your desk. You have a trial today. The sergeant's upstairs. Have a good day. We'll see you at lunch. You have a and trial I said, Wait, today. Roll, roll day that one back. Holy I have a what? Shit. And she said, I, "You have a trial. You wanted to be a trial lawyer. I remember that in your your interviews." It's how you do it. Yeah. Here's so the fire. A, there's your feet. Yeah. Go put them on top. <laughs> when I was a kid, I hated to swim. I wore glasses. You know, I'd take the glasses off. I couldn't see anything. And my father was like, no, I'll teach him how to swim. <laughs> he picked me up and threw me threw in the you water. <laughs> yeah. And to this day, I have a pool in my house. Yeah. I like to clean it. I do not like to swim. It's like, thanks for fucking me up there. I appreciate that. But it's that, you know, you get thrown in the water, you learn how to do it. How did your first trial go then? So, so I get upstairs. And I call the sergeant's name, and he is like eight foot fifteen. This guy is friggin' huge, and he's got hash marks on his arms and his legs. So I said to him, "What is that?" And he gives me the. 
<laughs> I said, all right, cards on the table. This is my first day. What was his response? I've never tried a case before other than, hey, you know, I did in law school. He's yeah, like, yeah. Very How many that. hashes were on his sleeve? Because what those are is like every five years you get a hash. It, so It was up one arm, down the other. It was on his ass. It was on his pants. It was like, like it was a hash uniform. I don't know what the hell was going on with him. So, so, so I said, just help me here, okay? And he said, all right, listen to me very carefully. And this is the quote. Ask me my name, my shield, badge number, and my command, and get the fuck out of my way. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I could do that. I got you, man. So, so I said, okay, thank you. And I'm trying to read the file. I have this big-ass file yeah. that I haven't even been able to. I just walked upstairs, introduced myself, and then I hear... You know, people versus so-and-so. It's like, oh, fuck, we're starting this case already? <laughs> yeah. So we walk in. The court says, are the people ready? Sure, Your Honor, ready. Defense is ready. The people are ready. I'm right. not, but they are. <laughs> so she says, call your first witness. Thank God it was a bench trial instead of a jury trial. It was just the judge. So I call him, and, and one of the techniques you learn in law school to be a trial lawyer is the courtroom is theater. Mm-hmm. Now, there was no judge, but still, right. I mean, no jury, but still. Yeah. So I'm like walking around the courtroom and, and just like very theatrical. So I'm walking around I was like, Sergeant, could you please give the court your name, shield, and command? And I'm walking around <laughs> and he does. And then I realize I got nothing else. <laughs> that's, my, that's my cue to get out of the way. So I look at the file. I was like, oh, were you working November 11th? He was like, yeah. I said, what happened? So he starts this whole story. We were undercover. We're wearing the color of the day so we don't shoot each other. Everybody knows who's a cop by yeah. the color they're wearing. And this, this, we had gang activity, and there are these guys that, that uh, we're looking for that have chains and bats and knives, and, and they're running right in the subway system. And I'm sitting there like, no fucking shit. This is, whoa. What a story. What an intense case. It's like, I never heard about this case before. You sat down in the gallery. <laughs> so at some point, the legal aid attorney objects. And, and I'm like, he's telling a fucking story. Shut up and listen to the story. It's pretty this, good. This is fascinating. So, so I said to the judge, what are the grounds for the objection, Your Honor? And she turns to the defense attorney and she said, grounds? And he says, is there a question? So the judge says, ask another question. So I said, what happened next? <laughs> like, wow, that was easy. And, and, and that was, I, so I come home at the end of the day. And my wife, who's a lawyer, says, how was your first day of school, dear? Yeah. <laughs> and I said, I have come up with this theory of direct e uh, examination. And she's like, you're such a moron. Like, <laughs> you're the first person that's ever done this. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it was one of those, if you're really well prepared, yeah. then you're telling a narrative. You're telling a story. Yeah. People like to hear stories, yeah. whether you're a judge who hears them every day. Right. But this one is engaging, and they're actually paying more attention to this than they would to something else, or a jury, which is going to be enthralled by it. Right. And then you put it all out there. And then you have the ability to say, wow, okay, we put it all out there. That's the context. That's what's going on in this case. Now let's do chapter by chapter. Yeah. And I was able to go back and get more information and then clarify. And in essence, what this theory I came up with was you can basically testify three times. 
Wow. Hey, usually it's you ask a question, there's an, you, you know, you ask that you like the answer, yeah. you ask it again. Yeah. Like you can't do, you asked it, the objection is asked and answered. We got it. Let's move along. Right, right. But on this, it was, it's all out there and then I'm clarifying. So that's something I try to share in terms of one of the courses I do is courtroom psychology. So understand what's going on when you right. walk in a courtroom, who's walking around, who's listening, what's their body language, what kind of messages are you getting? Um, and then crosses, you're, you're just trying to control somebody. And, yeah. you, you know, it's, I'm testifying. You're, you're saying yes or no, and, and that's it. Yeah. I, I think, that there, like, if uh, we have a training facility in Alabama that we go to for, um, you know, forensic-related courses, computer-related stuff, but I was, I was really pleasantly surprised when I went to that facility because inside the facility they have a courtroom, yep. an entire courtroom. And, like, I was like – this is genius. This is absolutely genius. I was like, what a better way to get somebody acclimated to how it all plays out. But again, I think we set our people up for failure. Like I'm on my 30th year and I know that our current crew are just now doing mock trial type scenarios for recruits. And I'm thinking finally, like that's, and, and that's, that's what you got to do. That's the point in time when you, they should, they should be doing it. Well, and, and that, that facility brings prosecutors and judges, and they get to learn how to, I guess, ask questions of people who do what we do, um, especially the technical stuff, you know, because that's, you know, the, there, I have prosecutors who've been prosecutors for a long time and are really great prosecutors go, I don't know, you know, the computer side, the, the, the child, you know, sex abuse material side, like we've never done that before. What do we do? And I'm like, no, it trial lawyers are chameleons <laughs> and we get involved in cases and we learn as much as we possibly can. And sometimes, you know, just enough that we, we can actually ask the right questions. Yeah. And then you go on to the next case and you try to learn whatever is involved in that. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's hard to know everything, but you're dealing with witnesses that that's all they do yeah yeah exactly so it's you educate me what should i be asking was that a stupid question i won't ask it how should i ask it right i always try and go a little bit like i try and go way in the weeds with them first and like get really detailed because then they understand it it's all context. And we're never Every, going to go that life far is context we're never going to go that far with a jury or a judge, right? right. We're going right. to we're going to try and make it understandable. But I'm like, if you don't have all of the details, then you don't know what you want to know, right? Or what you need to know. And so, awesome. and I don't know what you're going to know, need to, from me. Basic stuff. So when people are coming into my house, like, where's the bathroom downstairs? Yeah. And you know, you go through this room, you make a left. It, it's in the bottom left corner of the house. You yeah. figure it out after that, but yeah. you know that's basic enough that I don't have to give you the. You walk five steps, you make a left. You go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now I, I'm. We're not going to spend too long on this because, but, but our I know, listeners I know where the question but, is coming. But the, by, but, but the listeners will want to know this fascinating detail. You, you did practice in an area where you, you may have gone before a judge that they know. So. Yes, Judge Judge Judy Judy Shineland. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Sat as a as a family court judge, and and wow. some of our cases were prosecuted in family court, um, and I was assigned to her courtroom. So you lawyered before Judge Judy. I I did. In fact, um, I was mentored by her. Um, so after every trial, she'd call me in the back afterwards and say, "You're doing good." Yeah. You know those first ten questions today were really good. Really. That twelfth question, 
This is a quote. What, you a fucking schmuck? Why would you say picture? For those listeners that do not or are not familiar with Yiddish, the word schmuck is penis in Yiddish, which is a combination of Hebrew and German. Um, so I would get that kind of feedback, which was invaluable. Yeah. Um, one thing lawyers don't do, because every once in a while the judge is like, I'm going to ask some questions now. You're sitting there going, fuck. Right. You know, I could screw up this case by myself. I don't need your help yeah. to ask the questions right. I didn't want to ask. But it's a real advantage because what they're doing is basically open up their head and, and letting you in. Yeah. This is what they're not clear about. I had a custody trial and, and I had never been before this particular judge. I'll get back to Judge Judy. No, you're good. <laughs> um, and I was cruising, asking my questions, and all of a sudden the judge takes over. We take a, a morning break and I look at the court officer. The court officers in every courtroom or the court reporters are the people you need to be friends with. Yeah, right. <laughs> They're the ones that give you, how am I doing? Give you the feedback if they like you. So I went over to the court officer and I said, am I screwing it up that badly that she's just like pushing me out of the way? And he said, oh yeah, I forgot you hadn't tried anything. That's what she does. Really? And I said, got it. So we start again. I said, judge, I just want to flip. You covered, you know, the first couple of pages of what I got. So thank you. Let me just yeah. advance. And I knew what she was thinking. Yeah. That's an expectations, thing. right? <laughs> just knowing what yeah. what's coming. And so, so the judge was your second chair, <laughs> basically. Or you try to make them. So going back to Judge Judy, so um, she eventually leaves Bronx County, goes to Manhattan. She's supervising Judge of Manhattan, and then she writes her first book, and and had a press agent, and the rest is history. Right. Fast forward. While she was still on the bench, I had a, a custody case in front of her. So now I'm out in private practice. And, and um, we're talking about trying to resolve the custody. And she said, well, here's what I think we should do. And I said, I, I recognize the fact that that's what you think we should do. <laughs> but I, I can't agree to that. And she kind of looked at me. And so the case is over. Everybody's leaving. So I'd like, I'd like to see counsel at, at the bench, please. It's unrelated to this case. It's like getting called to the principal's oh, office. Man. She looks at me. She says, how are you? Good. How's the family? Very good. She said, I created a fucking monster, didn't I? It's all your fault. So when I left the office, um, a a, a friend took my slot and he ultimately left being a prosecutor, became an FBI agent, ultimately went into the behavioral analysis unit um, and retired. Yeah. Um, Which in the FBI, I have learned it's either, you know, a certain number of years or I think age 50. It's age, uh, I think, 57, yeah. It was 57. So it's kind of sad, right? Yeah. You got yeah, a lot you, more in you the You get tank. to a mandatory yeah, place, yeah. Yeah. So he had a retirement dinner, and he said, I'd like you to speak at the dinner. It was at Quantico. So I said, you know, what's the format? Is it, you know, serious stuff? He's like, no, no. You, you do your thing. <laughs> you I'll be do, cool. You, Whatever you, you do, you. I will yeah. be cool with it. So, so what? Uh, Judge Shineland, Judy Shineland's son was the DA of the county north of where I practice. So I reached out to him and I said, can, can you get word to your mom? I'd like to talk to her. So he said, yeah. So the next day she calls me, not her people. She calls me and now she's on TV and, and like every secretary in my office is standing at my doorway. Larry's talking to Judge Judy. She, Judge Judy's on She's Judge Judy <laughs> at this away. point. <laughs> yeah, she is judge, she's always been Judge Judy. Right. So, so she says, Larala, this was her term of endearment for me, Larala. Um, how are you? How's the family? What's going on? What can I do for you? I said, do you remember Jim Clemente? 
She said, who the fuck is Jim Clemente? And I said, you really don't remember him? She said, I don't. So Jim used to dress in sharkskin suits when he was a prosecutor. So this is late late 80s, early 1990s. So, you know, the skinny ties, yeah, the pointy yeah, yeah. shoes. you know, the And sharkskin suits? Sharkskin suits. Wow. Yeah, said, I remember I, the skinny ties for yeah. sure. Oh. She said, I don't remember him. I said, well, he's retiring from the FBI. He had appeared before you a whole bunch of times, but can you do something for me? So she said, yeah. So two days later, I get a disc in the mail and I throw it in the computer and she's on set wearing her robe and, and the white, it's like, is that a doily? What, what is that <laughs> thing? Do you change it every day? It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's the only thing that makes the robe like right. uh, detailed. And, and or, I think Ruth Bader Ginsburg had, had one of those. Right. Too, so she was in good company. Um, so she's on set and she said, my dear friend Larry Bronstein asked me to say some words upon the retirement of Jim Clemente. So here they are. Who the fuck is Jim Clemente? <laughs> and she starts laughing and the audience is in there. They start cracking up. So that's how that's, I start my presentation. That's great. This was the days before, or I couldn't figure out um, uh, Photoshop. Right. So, so I found whatever pictures I could of Clemente and I cut them out and literally cut and pasted and then took a photograph and incorporated it in a PowerPoint. <laughs> so I had his face on an FBI badge. I had him standing next to J. Right. Edgar Hoover, that kind of shit. <laughs> yeah. And I think I'm killing it. People are laughing. Everybody's engaged. I'm having a great time. And then I look over to the side and Manny, Mandy Patankin is sitting there. Oh, Get wow. out of here, yeah. really. So Jim, while he was on the job working for the FBI, was the technical advisor That's right, he for, was. That, for that show. He was the dead body on the show. He was a suspect picture on the wall, that kind of shit. So I said, I think I'm going to get topped. <laughs> <laughs> and, and indeed, they had a 15-minute with all really? the cast. That was what the evening was like. But that's it was a lot wow. of fun. But, but, well, that's a retirement Judge, to remember. Yeah, Ju and Judge, Judge Judy, Judy came through. That yeah. is Funny, man. Yeah. Judge Judy, if you're listening, we have great respect. We do. Shout out to Judge Judy. Judge Judy. I don't think she's a listener. Um, <laughs> let's talk about your, well, I want to talk about now your trainings that you're doing. Um, I want to give people an idea of like, uh, we want to hear one of your, your bad cases that, you know, that you spoke of briefly, but also just kind of what you're, what are you teaching people now? What is your focus when you train? Right. Um, and I also teach it at one of the law schools on Long Island Hofstra Law School. So oh. trying to get the next generation of, of lawyers Excellent. in the right place. Yeah. Um, again, I keep saying context. Whatever anybody does in child protection usually leads to the courtroom. Or it leads to mm -hmm. preparation for trial, which results in a, a settlement or plea bargain because people could be prosecuted in criminal court. They could be prosecuted right. in family court or dependency court, depending on the nature of the relationship between the victim and the, the perpetrator, alleged perpetrator. Alleged. <laughs> that word alleged always comes out of it. Has to. <laughs> um, so uh, a lot of it is here's how defense attorneys view the world. Here's how defense attorneys view these cases. So you understand how we prepare so that you can prepare your case better or your investigation. Mm. Um. I do a course on courtroom psychology, how to be a good witness. And for the last two years, I've been doing the presentation with a, a, a guy named Al Killen Harvey, who's a um, licensed social worker um, who works with LGBTQ youth at risk. Mm. Just a, a gentle man. I've, and he's here. He's, yeah, he's. I met him, and he just best. seems like the kindest person. He is. Yeah. He is. Um, and so we were talking about the presentation, mine, 
And I said, I would love to work with you on this. And because you're a witness and a mental health professional and an observer of human behavior, what's your sense? How, how are you feeling when you're sitting on the witness stand? You're, you you yeah. got the, the opposite perspective of mine. Yeah. And between the two of us, we can bring that to a training because the people in the room primarily are witnesses as right. opposed to, or the, we've got prosecutors that come in as well, but you live the experience from that seat. I live it from standing in front of you asking questions. Right. So we've done that a bunch of times and, and it, it really is very effective. Wow. And, and even for law enforcement, you know, how you feeling? You yeah. know, I get up, I, you know, I get up, I button my coat. You watch lawyers right. stand up and button their jackets. I do that because I spent half a day on trial with one of the jurors looking at my crotch area, not ever saying anything. My zipper was wide open for half a day. No one said anything, but juror number four kept like looking at my, like, just tell me. Right? And shit like that happens in the courtroom, embarrassing stuff. And, and then it's, how are you going to handle it? So, of yeah. course, my response was, there was a breeze in here. I couldn't figure out where it was coming from. I, thank you. Man, I cut the tension with humor, so I think you're the Absolutely, same way, right? But it, but but it's 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 self-deprecating. You yeah. can't make fun of other people. You want right. to make fun of yourself. Right. That's fine. And of course, the funniest person in the courtroom is the judge. I've heard the same fucking joke from one judge. Must have been a thousand times. And every time he tells it, it gets funnier. <laughs> and this is why. That's a good one, Judge. I, I got to write that one. Down. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Yeah, that's a great approach. I try and do that with my wife too. Right? She's the funniest person in my life. Legitimately. She believes that I'm, I'm saying it. She's not listening. <laughs> so that I don't have to worry about it. So you're training to you're, you're doing that when you're training um, people about um, child abuse, but you're also, and you're working with some other people that I don't know if you can name, but yeah, no, absolutely. So, so COVID hits. And, and so as you guys know, you, you come to these conferences, you've developed personal friendships right. with people, sometimes professional you know, you hang out, you have a beer, you talk shop, um, talk about family. Right. This this conference, a lot of it was. So, how'd you get to doing this? Right. Yeah. Right. Even people that you know well, but sometimes you just don't have. You know, you're a cop. You're a lawyer. Right. You're a mental health professional. Period. End discussion. Yeah. But but a lot of this was how do you how'd you get what's the backstory here? Right. Um. So so a lot of that was going on. So as a result of that, there were a couple of guys that I've become friendly with close with one is a guy by the name of Jim Tanner. Mm -hmm. Jim is a probation officer in port in Boulder, Colorado, computer expert and an expert on grooming behaviors. Mm. Yeah. Um, Graham Hill is a criminologist from London. Um, an expert in the area of how sex offenders view the world. If you haven't already. Yeah. We've got an episode with Graham yep. and you it was amazing. You I, are going to learn a, a and, million and, things. And I walked by when you were doing it and, and just to mess him up, I stuck my finger in his nose. <laughs> yes. That's the shit I like to do. So when you heard us say, oh, Larry's here, <laughs> that's what was going on. We wondered why uh, Graham ducked and dived so quick to get away. Yeah, it's like, shit, Larry's going on. That's great. Um, and so... We hadn't seen each other for two years. So, so when COVID hit, we were just starting to plan, Hey, let's, let's work together. Let's figure this out. Right, and yeah. it was one of those, remember the mod squad, oh, yeah. one black, one Brown, <laughs> one blonde. And, and it was like, what can we do? We do such different things. Yeah. And, and what we ultimately figured out was we really don't. 
I mean, our titles are different. True. But we do the same things. We use the same techniques. We just use them differently. Yeah. Right. So that was that was an idea. So the first podcast we we not pod, yeah well uh, webinar yeah that we just did for us was on um, excessive use of force. We, we had a fight to stay awake. It was yeah. like, all right, this is a nice try. What else? And then we thought about what we do. Yeah. Stick to what we, what you know. Yeah. Um, so we formed, um, or we, we made a webinar <laughs> on understanding, interviewing, investigating, prosecuting, and supervising adults who sexually offend kids. Mm. Nice. And it, we were stuck doing it on a webinar. It was a huge amount of content. Jim keeps saying it's like drinking water from a fire hose. Right. Um, and so we reached out to a lot of CACs. We did the first one gratis for the El Paso CAC. They had gone through a lot of shit mm. as shootings. Right. COVID was hitting them yeah. hard. So Jim had a relationship with the director and said, we want to do something for your people. Right. And, and it benefits us because it's a dry run for us to see how it works. Yeah. And it's, it was an eight, it's an eight hour webinar. So wow. it's like, all right, we got to keep people awake sitting behind their computers for eight yeah. hours. Yeah. So we broke it up into segments. There's a, a, a panel discussion mm. where we, you know, if, if Jim's the lead on one segment, Graham and I will hang back. But during the panel, we'll come in and give our perspectives. There's stuff we don't agree upon. Yeah. Right. Um, there's stuff we do. And the more we did it, so, so then it, it kind of went out there and a lot of CAC said, we'd like to do it. Yeah. We got to train our people still, even though we can't see them. And that's a training Tony mentioned that I went to recently. Well, what we, what we yeah. did was, so, so once COVID kind of enabled us to, it's not that right. it's gone, but and God knows what's going to happen when I get home and put that thing in my nose and with the, <laughs> with the test results, are gonna, that's another story. Um, so we, it, the idea was a, a two day in person. Yeah. And, and so uh, Lana Ahrens from the Dallas CAC, who's the national training director, reached out to us. We had done two webinars right. for yeah. her, and she was like, two days? Yeah, come on out. Come on. Yeah. So, so we did it, which is where I met Brandon and, and was waiting for Tony to show up. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, I was like, where are they? Well, you know, he, he, he stood me up. Is I he going to be here? It was like, it's, we're we're on day started. two, and he hasn't arrived yet. <laughs> What the hell? Um, <laughs> I said, are you coming to this? He's like, no, I've got something here. <laughs> Working on something here. Something's always breaking loose, you know. <laughs> what can you do? Um, so, so that was a lot of fun. So we formed this, this training business. Um, uh, and, and so they do their own things on a regular basis. Uh, Graham actually is, is recorded something for, for the Sky Network. Wow. Um, uh, homicide detective with Graham Hill. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Did he talk about it? Yeah, he did. He mentioned bit, the yeah. homicide detective. I have detective been busting his ass. So, <laughs> so it's now I, you know, I have to walk two steps behind him. <laughs> I, you know, I have to open the door for him. Yeah. He has to wear first. Sunglasses. Then you wear. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. um, Do you carry the boom mic over him just to make sure you catch everything he says? <laughs> Mr. Hill has no comment on that. I'm, I'm getting good at it, and I'm getting to the point where it's, you know what? I'll take 11% instead yeah. of 15. Hey, there you go. <laughs> That's your a good agent. Make your agent. And then I'll change the contract to 25. That's right. <laughs> he won't know it. That's attorney inside knowledge right there, right? Behind, behind, the, behind baseball, inside Erasable ink. That's right. great. Funny. No, you're... Just you're, kidding. And the training is um, fantastic. Obviously, it's three experts, three people, but it's sort of a one-stop shop kind of thing, right? Like, you're you're doing everything. They get every kind of yeah. aspect. Yeah, so quick example. So so Graham has interviewed thousands of sex offenders in prison, and, and tr so so you know the, the good news yeah. is they're in prison. Um, <laughs> right. 
<laughs> but but use that knowledge as a forensic interviewer. Right. If you know how the sex offender operates and how they view the world and how they do what they do, and Jim talking about grooming, mm-hmm. then those are good questions, more right. questions, better insight when you're interviewing the kids. Right. So it's, you know, they're sitting there going, I'm not... And Graham was in in law enforcement for 30 years. So you get a forensic interviewer that says, well, I'm not in law enforcement. Like, right. listen to what he's saying. Yeah. You can use that. That's right. And every time we teach together, I'm making notes. Right. Oh, I could use that. Yeah. I could use that in the courtroom. I could use that in terms of interviewing my clients. Exactly. I mean, you think about it. Like, I mean, <clears throat> probation, that what you're learning, supervising people who have committed offense and been convicted of it and are now required to disclose and talk about and polygraph and all of this stuff. That is something that we can use when we talk to the person who hasn't been arrested or convicted of something and figure out. And, and the court, I mean, obviously you've heard already how we learn the courtroom stuff um, from Larry, but, but he's also bringing in, I mean, Larry brings a lot of the humor to the training. (laughs) He and Graham are fun to watch, but, but Larry, you're also not you're not just talking attorney stuff. You're also talking about things that you're learning from just talking to people and and things that you bring up things that they've mentioned before that they forget or whatever. The panel stuff is really fun to watch because it's it's giving you three perspectives at the time that it becomes sort of multi-layered. Yep. And I don't yep. know if that sounds a little bit pretentious and precious, but... Sounds like retinal hemorrhage shit. <laughs> <laughs> sounds so multi-layered. But no, it gives us a really great um, viewpoint from sort of the, the the three kind of combining to go, ah, uh, yeah, this is really... Uh, and I there weren't just law enforcement in there. That, and I actually had my colleagues who work hands-on cases rather than the mm-hmm. internet cases. Mm-hmm. and And they were just, you know fascinated and we're all taking different things it's all tools on the tool belt i mean that's really all it is and you know you're you're gaining certain things and sometimes you'll learn most oftenly it's when you're in court getting cross-examined and something gets kind of twisted sideways up your keister that you realize oh i shouldn't probably do that one again and and then that sets the tone for you you know and like uh you know i don't know you, you just be a sponge as much as you can and apply what works and then Use it while it works. Well, I mean, and, that, and you can tell, like the 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 expertise in the room is is sensational. That you've got this long history and and experience in this field, so much so that Jim, you've Jim taught. Tips for, the average, the age average. Well, <laughs> hey, you know, <laughs> he's not even here to defend himself. But he, I mean, if you're looking for a paper on grooming, Jim wrote it. He's the guy. He, yeah. I mean, we use that in our office about teaching yep. other yep. Uh, other law enforcement about grooming, and obviously, you've heard Graham now, and Graham is you know a brilliant mind as far as we're the, teaching him English though. He did. <laughs> I, cookie, he pointed out it's not uh, a biscuit. I did have to translate a few things. You know, <laughs> I, we, when we were teaching, he said something about you when you bring a Ford into the garage, and people were like, "What." I said, he said, when you bring your Ford into the garage and he looked at me, fuck you. He said Ford and I didn't catch it the first time. And I was like, oh, you said, but, but we were sitting around a table the other night and he was telling the story that he told on here about the lorry. And I leaned over to Larry and said, what's a lorry? And he says, it's a truck. It's a a fucking truck. Yeah. So when he mentioned it on our episode with him, uh, he says, Lori and, uh, 
Brandon's like, that's a truck. <laughs> Which <laughs> Tony thought I was being rude, interrupting him, but I'm like, no, no, no. I had to translate it for myself, so I want to make sure. I want to yeah, make sure. I have no idea. He but he's a fascinating guy. Like, uh, yeah, he is. But you guys have some very... So, go ahead. A personal story. Oh, I love these. So Graham, Graham and I met at, at the reception that they have for the VIPs and the speakers the, the night before the conference starts. He's a tall guy, kind of sticks out. So we started talking, and I heard the accent, and you know yeah so we kind of cut to the what do you like to do so yeah. let's connect on a human level first yeah. <laughs> and he said I, I like to ride my bike and he's like so do i motorcycle or bicycle he's like no bicycles like yeah. Ooh, and larry's sitting here with his here. nypd cycling team cup so <laughs> nice i love the team he's on it yeah so we started talking so last year or 2019 right doesn't it seem like yeah. last year when we were here <laughs> right three years ago 2022 yeah that's three years ago yeah See, I, if I, I needed to do that, I would have been a fucking medical doctor if I could have done that math in my head without using my fingers. That's why we're, that's why we're cops. <laughs> and, when we we, and when we meet, it, it's military time because Jim was in the military, Graham was in the military, and I'm like, what's 1,800? What? Fuck, 13, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Okay, I got it now. He's counting on his fingers, I by the way. On my fingers. I have a watch that's got military time, so when I have that phone call, with, listen. <laughs> there are things we do well and there are things we don't do play so the hand you're so down. anyway so so we rent a bike we drive down to Austin we rent bicycles we go for a ride mm. it's we got started early it was like 89 yeah now it's 110 and we're on our way back except Austin is getting smaller instead of bigger <laughs> <laughs> and I realized I missed one of the turns and we got a problem because we're going in the wrong direction so oh, I said sure. alright we need a direct route back so I go on my phone and I find a bike route they and call them bike routes for yeah. a reason because you can ride your bicycle on and them it's 800 and it's degrees a, at this right. point now the bike route is a major highway <laughs> with a shoulder that's about 8 inches oh no oh my gosh so Graham says I'm done <laughs> I am done. I'm not riding it. It's like, you know, you have a dog that just doesn't want to walk right, anymore. Right. It's like they down, flopped down. down. You got to drag the leash with the dog. So do I have to do this with you? I'm not doing it anymore. I'm exhausted. It's hot. So let me get this. Threw him on the handlebars and ride. You were in the Royal Marines. So that's the, the that's UK the equivalent of the Navy SEALs. You were in the Falklands War. You got parachuted into a minefield and you were stuck there for 12 hours. This is, this is yeah. what, and you can't ride your fucking bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> so we find a coffee shop and we call an Uber and we, we thank God they sent us an SUV Uber. Yeah. And, and now we have the drive of shame back to Lance Armstrong's bike shop. <laughs> oh my God. Even better than right? it's the Lance Armstrong. So we take the bikes out of the car. The guy that waited on us is standing outside having a cigarette. And he looks at us and we're like, you know, crestfallen and embarrassed. He's this like, is, the tails are in between the legs. You missed the fucking turn, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> like, Motherfucker. Does everybody's like, yeah, a lot of people do, and a lot of people pull up in the car. It's like, and you couldn't have like flagged that one for I me. Make it. sure yeah. you don't miss this turn. A lot of people do the car thing to bring yes, the bikes yes. back. <laughs> and when they funny. do, it's that turn that they've missed. So oh, could, I love you, it. could you write the directions yeah. a little better? Maybe now? a sign that says, yeah. this is the turn. Don't forget yeah. the turn. Or right? maybe tell us that up front, yeah. and we won't miss the turn. Well, you know, Austin's uh, whole theme is keep it weird. So yeah. maybe that's. Well, that was. The, uh, so part of so the we are in a couple of hours driving down to Austin. We have rented bikes from Lance Armstrong's bike shop. Oh my! But God. this time and you we know have the our turn. NYPD cycling team 
kits that we're going to be wearing. Oh, no, so that's nice. either going to end very well and we're going to be supported. In Austin, or I think. somebody's going to shoot wow. their car at This us. could be a 50-50. I, I, I don't know. I, don't know. I don't know. You never know what you're going to find down there. But you know what was interesting in the training to me that I wanted to to bring up is you you three, um, Jim and, and Graham, and you actually have some interesting ideas. And Graham briefly mentioned it on sex offender registry stuff. And like our listeners probably don't think about, you know, a lot of people, the average person doesn't go around thinking about what's the, the validity of the sex offender registry in my life. You know, that's not something we think of, but uh, I thought his, he kind of explained a lot of his perspective on the sex offender registry, but, but that was a a whole portion of the the training was talking about that. And I I think that's perspective as a probation officer. Yeah is that sex offender registry is a false sense of security. Yeah. yeah. So, whoa, you're in the field, yeah. and you're saying... He it, monitors it, sex offenders. It doesn't necessarily work. Yeah, he Graham. said there was somebody that had registered in a location. Mm-hmm. They moved. They didn't re-register. They didn't take the location off the registry. Off the, yeah. right. Somebody moves in, somebody innocent, somebody law-abiding, and their house is put on fire because nobody knew that the They're sex offender There's a dot on a map, yeah. Anymore. Wow. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. Wow. And Graham made it, um, I mean, it was a, a very simple point made, but very important, I think, is is that part of that false insecurity, people look on the map, oh, I, we can't be around here, we're going to avoid this neighborhood, but we they know all the sex offenders. They don't take into account the other 200 that live in that neighborhood that simply haven't been caught yet. Funny, funny story. So I, I live in a community where there's a prison. Wow. Mm-hmm. And... You look at this house, it's in the woods, it's quiet. Go to contract, ready to close. And I say, you know what? I, I, I just need to check, Let me look. check the registry out. <laughs> Even though you know and you have 1,234 these, uh, names pop up. And I'm saying, we need to get out of this fucking contract. <laughs> wow. And then I realized they all have the same address. It's the prison. <laughs> You're like, that's like, where you wanted oh, the 1200 to be? Thank God. Okay, we can buy this house We're okay now. now. Either we need to move or this is how the horror film starts. <laughs> that's it. That's but that's, it. yeah, that's the false sense of security. Some of the, some of the issues with, you know, because I'm sure there are good reasons for sex offender registries and some of the things that they do. But there are some reasons that you feel... I, I think it's the difference between making them public. So, yeah. you know, you move into a community, you register, law enforcement knows where you are. Yeah. For what that's worth. Right. Um, but when the community sees it, they don't know what to do with it. They don't know how to understand it. And yeah. I think you get the vigilanteism and the false sense of security that, that the guy who lives next door sexually abuses kids never right. got caught. Right. Your kids are more at risk going there for, for Halloween right. yep. than the guy who's registered and you know about. Parts of um, uh, my brother's a retired uh, Las Vegas Metro officer, and, and they have a different, they have a tiered registry there. New York um, has one too. And so, like, um, I can't remember if it's one, two, three, or three, two, one mm-hmm. being the worst or whatever, but I think one being the low risk. And so, it's exactly that at level one. You are registered, obviously, with the PD, mm-hmm. and you do whatever check-in is requirement of you, but you're not listed on a site Correct. somewhere. Yep. And and I guess that's how it escalates yep. up. A, so. a lot of states do <clears throat> as well. And there are some states that until you reach like a severe level of assessment, then you're not even listed publicly. And right. Right. So there are, there are a whole lot of complex issues with it, correct? And then beyond that, 
there's this issue of civil commitment. Yeah. So, right. so you have, you've done your time, right. committed the crime, you've done the time, you're ready to be released. And basically it's not so fast. Someone thinks yeah. you're so much a danger. Yep. yep. And, and that's an interesting issue in terms of constitutional rights. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, that, and, and, and how the hearing is held, who's testifying. Right. So that's kind of fascinating. We didn't and, really go into depth, but we did talk about that specifically with uh, Dr. Burke. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, because he was a, played a role in that yep, aspect absolutely. of it at some yep. point in time. But yep. I don't think people even realize that that's an option that yep. potentially could happen. Yep. That, is, that someone who is deemed such a, a threat to the community <clears throat> yep. and a danger yep. is not released. They're put back into civil, somewhere else. Civil commitment. So yep. they're put into a, a locked men, a mental health facility. And for wow. how long? Could be forever. Yeah. Yeah. So they're... I didn't actually plan to to bring this one up or to, to ask this question, and we didn't talk about it before, so you may not even have an opinion or you may not want to share an opinion, but but we get asked a lot, and we've recently been asked about these cyber vigilante groups, the vigilante groups who are conducting their own undercover yep. stings and yep. bringing in people and then shaming them on public social media or whatever. From your perspective in this field, from your perspective with your background in history, what can you share it's, anything? It's, it's my opinion is it's counterproductive. Yeah. It's the equivalent of me saying eh, it's raining out today. I can't ride my bike. I think I'll build a rocket ship to the moon. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's the best the answer we've ever right? gotten. What do I know about that? Right. Right. What do they know about, you know, shaming people and then, oops, you were mistaken. I mean, there are cases right. of, you know, outing people who they think did that, who didn't. Yeah. You've, you can't unring a bell. You have ruined yeah. their lives and their careers. Right. And, and the innuendo, just that smell of it, even though, you know, there's nothing there. Right. That's dangerous. Well, and as a defense and attorney, that's not, are you, that's not defending or uh, protecting make, kids. Protect, yeah. Thank you. Don't get old. Words. Those words, <laughs> words are hard. Right? Words well, are we don't business. even know yet if it's gone sideways where, you know, someone uh, gets confronted and, and something bad happens, like that yeah. guy doing the confronting gets I, there's, there's stabbed no good or shot. There's, yeah, no, there's good no good to that. Well, and I can only imagine from your defense attorney hat that you're looking at, oh, oh you who don't know what you're doing, has no training, certifications, no nothing that law enforcement is required to have to do this. You did this case, and it shouldn't be prosecuted because we're not allowed to take those, but if it happens to do something somewhere, I'm guessing the defense attorney is going to love it because they're going to rip it apart, right? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, and e- even if it were a legitimate case, you have messed it up to the point where right. it can't be unmessed. Yeah. So now we have lost the opportunity to protect this child. Yeah. And, well, I'll use, since I brought it up, I didn't plan to bring this up, so I'm not using this as my soapbox. But I always feel like that when that person who you brought in and confronted returns to the behavior because nothing happened this right. time. right. They yep. are going to be, they know what happened the first time. And so they're going to do it a little better. They're going to do it better. Be they're going to be careful. cautious. And we're not going to know about it until a real child is harmed. And often, t- so to me, like you're not only not protecting kids, but you're causing harm to a child who has to be abused before we do it the right way. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. a sad, sad place just so you can get followers on social media. or get It's paid. the likes. It's the like count. It's the tick count. It's the subscriber count. So he's getting paid off the channel that he's on. 
you know, whatever thousand bucks a month or fifteen hundred bucks a month, if that's and and but it's you know these groups are saying oh we protect kids by doing this and you're not you're harming children. But what's really Absolutely. sad is if you read the comments on some of these people's pages, people love the love the content, but they don't understand the backside of it. Of well, nothing happens. Well, and they you're think, endangering a oh, kid. Oh, you're doing this, and this person's getting caught and prosecuted and put in jail, and it's not. Yeah. So we talk about that, and and, and Jim calls it the low hanging fruit. So there are yeah. police agencies that do it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. It's like that's not the best use of your limited resources. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it, I agree. It, it gets press. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. That's the other aspect of we things. We talk about those too. Yeah. yeah. That it, it makes no sense to me. It, you know, it's a it's a look at me mm-hmm. situation. And it, to me, it's dangerous. It's like, like someone coming in off the street, going, "I'm going to your murder scene, and I'll work this one, guys. I got this." Yeah. <laughs> and you're, but you would, and, and raise the yellow tape so I can, I can go in there. But no one thinks. I mean, think about that. Like people know, ooh, I don't know what I'm doing in homicide investigation. That's got to be serious. I'm not going to do this. That's I would never. Well, you watched it on TV, so you know what you're doing, right? This is no different. They are complex yeah. investigations that require a lot the, of the skills. Phrase is, it's just like an assault, and they died. That's like, <laughs> yeah. really like, the only difference. They go, okay, yeah. I'm ready an, for it. Then. Just an assault that went further. Ooh, that's a... <laughs> well, you know, the next time you're watching a TV show and you want to come do the job, I guess, you know, yeah, start. Absolutely. Why not? Walk under that yellow tape. Don't walk under the yellow tape. I, I've been brushing my teeth for more than 50 years, but I don't think I can do a root canal on somebody, <laughs> right? Like, I'm a so, dentist. So let me, let me turn the microphones around. Come do, on. do you guys watch any TV? Do you watch uh, any little, law enforcement shows? A little bit. Yeah. I keep one on in the office because, uh, my partner's breathing irritates me, atmosphere. so it's it's a noise reduction thing. But I, I keep. Uh, is there one you like? I watch. I, I, what do you think the most accurate law enforcement show oh, on television is? That's not that's, and and not the. I mean, there's been. Some I don't think ones. there is one no? accurate. No. Well, I'll say I. You know, the the popcorn watching part of me is I like just because I. I actually like the people on it, but I like Blue Bloods, but yeah. that's just because yeah. I watch. Yeah, I like Blue Bloods, too. I mean, who doesn't I do, like Tom I Selleck? Keep, I keep... Uh, Except I, I was watching one scene, and he says, I've got your six o'clock. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Really? Yeah, six o'clock. You well, six o'clock? And I'm like, why Why is the detective going in front of the SWAT team to, to yeah, bust yeah, down yeah, the door? Yeah. That's and, not going to happen. And somehow the, the, the prosecutor daughter gets to go in and out of things all yeah. the time. Oh, yeah. Right? She's very investigative. Yeah, she is. The one that I think is the most far-reaching that I see regularly is because i leave chicago pd up for a while and they get in an awful lot of damn shootings and not one of them are ever <laughs> off and they don't do any paper at all like and i'm like what the hell that's that's a fantastic i don't know that there are really i mean maybe some of the reality um there's actually an interview series so during covid we were watching it, and I'm at the mercy of my wife because I don't know how to use our television. <laughs> so, what do we watch tonight, honey? Like, I, I'm in the mood for, okay, I guess I'll just sit down and watch what you got. But there was yes, one series, it, it took place in an interview room. Oh. The entire set was the interview room. Oh, I'm And, and the hallway outside. Okay. Um, and, of course, I don't remember the name of it, but it, it, it was a... I don't know, five or six series in the... Oh, so it's the a UK, series deal. Okay. Right? And then... In Germany, wow! So we we it was like whoa in another another language whoa. another setting, same set, really, which I thought was oh, wow. really cool. Wow, yeah, but different characters and and different actors. Oh, I'm intrigued. And and another, I will find out for you, and and then you can post it on here. It was 
really worth the watch and legitimate techniques. Wow. Because Tony and I mm. talked when we were talking with Graham, like that's the stuff we find really fascinating, uh -huh. really, and really fulfilling is talking to someone who has done horrible things and learning about and understanding. You're not implying that I've done horrible things. No, no, no. <laughs> not on the podcast. I mean, offenders. I'm on my own when Inter I work out of this room. <laughs> interviewing offenders is what we... It's that, the best part of the job to me. Like that, Because that's what drives me. You know it's what a, I asked, Graham? So we, we did a... Pre I'm sorry. No, it's strategy. I was... We did a presentation together, a law enforcement and defense attorney perspective on forensic interviewing of sex offenders. And and I, I said to Graham, yeah, these guys are talking to you, but they're in prison. Like, yeah. you, you know, it, it, it's done for them already. Yeah. Right. Um, so the techniques that you're using to talk to them are different from the guys that are oh, saying, yeah. I could beat this rap. Nobody's arrested me yet. Yeah, absolutely. And he said, no, well, the personalities are basic. Yeah, the 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 techniques are basic. Yeah, and it's the same techniques that that you know you'd use right. in terms of you know there's a dent on the car and you're not getting the straight answer from your kid. It's yeah. the same. It's the same kind of questioning that well, you use. Having so. interviewed people who have reoffended, uh, even while they're it, uh, interviewing in a prison, it it's the same stuff we're using from the. It's almost it's almost easier that way because they're like, oh well. But I think it's there it's more something. time consuming. I think. I mean, obviously you know, they're already there and convicted. And so their trust level is already in the shitter to speak, you know, so to speak. So yeah. I think you, there's far more time spent building a rapport with that, which, you know, takes over a greater length of time, something we're not always afforded in a, in an interview in a box, but it's people, still nonetheless, it's people think great. that, you know, we're going to talk for some people think, Oh, you interview someone for 30 minutes. Some people think, Oh, you talk to them for 10 hours. And it's usually like, you know, the it, we're at the mercy, especially on a scene or something. We're at the mercy of a lot of things, but it, even more so the offender, because they may say, yeah, you know, pound saying we're done. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so we, it's sort of like it's a strategy game, and it's you know coming coming from that aspect. It's fascinating. Other, so. other professions do it. So dermatologists can't see every crappy thing that happens to your skin. Yeah. yeah. They get trained by sitting in a dark room looking looking at slides. Ah. So they'll see what they can see in their practice. Wow. It's the same thing. You're not going to be able to interview yeah. all these offenders. You'll never have that opportunity, but right. somebody else did it. Yeah. And you need to find that person who's got that knowledge, another Absolutely. tool in the tool belt. Yeah. Well, and I, and Tony says, I talk, you know, I just talk all the time. I'm a, I'm, That's true. A, but part of it is, know that. They, they know, but part of it is too, is that I'm talking to just everyone about like I'm interviewing everyone because I want to know your, who you your are. Your personality is, let's be a sponge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's what, yeah. because I, I love learning about people. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I feel like when I talk to, you know, you on the, whatever, you on the street or you on this, you know, I'm learning how to talk to someone that I may get to save a kid from. And that conversation talking. on the street was, hey, sailor. When I, when I <laughs> <laughs> now, I want you to know, I wanted to save this for the end. We are going to call this the fucking episode. <laughs> That's right. Of Larry Brownstein. <laughs> so when we did the training, uh, Brandon was there. I, they rip. They just, and you know what? You can't learn if you're not awake. That's right. Right. And that, that wakes people up and I've, I've offended a couple of people. Ah, it was okay. a great presentation, but he's using those nasty words. <laughs> he's cussing too much. Well, well you know, of course, early in the conference, is, get the fuck over it. Yeah. <laughs> um, What's what, funny is when I met you at the beginning of the conference this week, you came by and we're like, Hey, hey what time? What are we going to do? You know, the, and I, the first thing he said was, can I say fuck? I said, <laughs> yeah. 
Absolutely. That's why we check like, the explicit like, box. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so, so during our training, um, there was we used this program where you can post comments and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, yes, and my so, colleagues had a fun time with that, yeah, putting so, questions that so I didn't So one of the say. guys was, I got an idea. Every time Larry says, fuck, take a drink. <laughs> So it's a I'm, drinking I'm, game. I don't know this, right? <laughs> Graham and Jim are cracking up because they're looking at the questions on their computer screen and I'm just walking around teaching and I, I'm teaching and every, every so often I see the entire class like taking a gulp. It's like a coordinated gulp. It's like, what the fuck is going on here? And so I said, what the fuck is swimming. going on here? And they went, boom. <laughs> that is freaking hilarious. We do a, we have a monthly meeting in my agency and it involves all of our investigative people and, and we have a someone in that particular meeting that is guaranteed to ask, you know, eight to 12 questions on average in an hour time frame. So behind the scenes, everybody's doing the over under, right? Like, uh, you know, over under is uh, 12 or nine or whatever. It took it till be. the day, the end of day two for the person who did that drinking game and was making these comments to come forward and go, I was the one that said that because there were like guesses. And I think Larry came by and he was we like, we were looking in the audience going, you think it's him? No, and I think they came to me and at one point. The, they're like, the it's gotta be popped up on the computer. It was like, I saw him move his phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 And he was like, okay, it was me. But they came to me and were like, Hey, did you do this? And I was like, no, I wish I'd come we up with it. it. I wish I'd come up you, with that. You were tub. the first suspect. <laughs> See, always. that's the confirmatory bias thing. It's I'm like, always, no, I think it's you. It's Brandon. We'll prove it's you. But, you know, to go back to your TV question, I watch Food Network a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know that's a shocking thing to everyone when they see that I like to eat. So I, I binge watch all kinds of stuff. But in the office, I leave primarily Blue Bloods or uh, Chicago PD up there. But now that he's... Now that he's teased this show I know, and you're, you're interested, gonna, we're going to tell you what it is eventually. Yep. We're going to find I'll, out the I'll name find of that it. For you. Yeah, eventually. What is that? What does that mean? There's another a good <laughs> no, one called Unforgiven. Okay. And that's cold cases. Oh, yeah. Mm, and, that, and that's good acting and procedures. Yeah. Pretty accurate. Yeah. Nice. Well, British procedures. So who the hell knows? British. <laughs> uh, could, please, could you, uh, we'd really appreciate it if you could talk to us. Please. <laughs> Would you we'll get your cup of tea? Would you not hurt people again, please? <laughs> In no. the proper terminology, like whilst, whilst well, something, right. well, whilst, whilst, yes. whilst, whilst, yes. whatever. They well, say. thank you for, I, we've kept you for an hour and a half almost. We've, oh, we've talked your ear off, but I want to say thank you for joining Absolutely. us. You My are pleasure. invited you. back grateful. anytime you want. Love it. And, awesome. Uh, we appreciate you. Sure. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Catfish Cops podcast brought to you by Brandon Poor and Tony Godwin. For additional information and available resources, please visit our website, www.catfishcops.com and click on the resources link.